listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. We'll turn in your Bibles to Romans 10. Romans 10, we're going to look at a verse there. And uh, we're kind of getting away a little bit from what we normally do here on a Sunday morning. Uh, I I want to give you a report about the time that I spent just recently in Central Europe. Uh, And then next week, Lord willing, we will return to the book of Daniel and continue working through that incredible um, book that God has for us in his word. But the first thing I'd like to do is share with you a few words from Romans chapter 10, some verses that we'll be looking again a little bit later, but just kind of set up what we're going to be talking about here this morning. And so I want to start reading Romans 10, uh, verse 12. And ushers do have Bibles, totally away one week, and I totally forget what I'm supposed to say, but the ushers have Bibles. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want everyone to have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible at home, take that Bible home as a gift from us to you, because the Word of God is what changes and transforms men and people's lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. They will continue to keep looking, and they will make sure you get one of those. All right, so we're going to start at verse 10. It says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. That, those verses are so impactful and such uh, important in setting what we're going to talk about here this morning. One of the overriding statements as I traveled to, uh, to Central Europe uh, last week, this statement, this thought, as especially coming home, has been going through my mind over and over and over and over and over and over again, and I'd encourage you to even write it down, and because I believe it's a very important statement for us here today, and that is we need them as much or more than they need us. So oftentimes we think of missions as we go there, we go, we give, we go, we're, we're going to go and we're going to take the gospel and, and we're going to do amazing things and we're going to enlighten people to the truth of God's word. But folks, I am convinced that we need to go because we need them as much, if not more, than they need us. We can learn so much from others. And, and you see that God, and, and it's just so biblical that God bestows a blessing in return when we are leaving our comforts, when we are leaving our plans, our agenda, and we take on God's plans and agenda. We have become so small in our focus. We make our lives, our existence, our finances, our time all about us. And how is this going to help me benefit my bottom line? How is this going to make me look? How is this going to, you know, just work into, the, into my life? plan into my life goals and dreams and God has something so much bigger we are so small and God God wants to just blow those small little dreams apart and he has something great in store for our lives and for our church but are we willing to let go and let God do that work in and through us we need them 
as much or more than they need us. And so uh, just encourage you, we're going to keep coming back to that statement over and over again that maybe uh, you'll have it memorized by the end of our time here this morning. I had an unbelievable experience, and I'm so thankful for your prayers. We went over there and dealt with the time change and different things like that, and, and, and it was full-on ministry from the moment we landed, and we were able to, to just plow through with strength and energy, and, and I know it was because people were praying, and God was doing just a very profound and a wonderful work in and through the ministry we were able to do, but probably even more in us that went as ministers to um, share the good news with, with the folks there. So, unbelievable time. Thankful for your prayers. I was only gone for six days. Spent most of my time in Brela, Romania. And so, I think you even have a little picture of uh, good old small little Kelowna and over to Brela. And, uh, and, and one of the things, uh, I, I ended up flying Kelowna, Calgary, Amsterdam, and then Bucharest, which is, in, which is the capital city in uh, the city there. 20 time zones had to deal with, 10 each way, 18,000 kilometers of flying, six airplanes, all of them on time. Like, amazing how that worked. Like, like that was just, just, just phenomenal. 900 kilometers of driving, swerving around about 10,000 potholes, and, um, and, and, and one very, very full heart to what God has done and what God is doing. And so again, thank you for your prayers. It was very strange for our family to be spread out in such a way. Here you have from a little phone app that, that we have that you see um, me in, in Romania, Charlotte and Nate, Charlotte, my wife, and, and our son Nate here in Kelowna and our daughter in Bible school in Australia. And it was very strange because I'd be sitting down to enjoy the evening dinner meal. Our daughter Clarice in Australia was getting ready to go to bed and Charlotte and Nate were just getting up for the morning. And thanks to technology, we could be connected all during that time with one another, texting and different things like that and checking in with one another. And so just thankful and very strange for our family to be spread out in that way and uh, yet so thankful that uh, just for these opportunities that the Lord allows. As I said, I flew into Bucharest, Romania, the capital city of Romania, Romania, about three million people. Spent a short time there. We were there in the evening and it reminded very much of Gotham City. You know, from what I would imagine Gotham City to look like. That building there on your right right is, is the parliament buildings that was built by the dictator Ceausescu uh, as, as a statement building. It is the largest administration building in the world, 4 million square feet, and 70% of it is not even being used today. It's got underground caverns and tunnels and pools and, and a racetrack and all kinds of just craziness down underneath, and we didn't have time to go on a tour. We were just there for a few short minutes to check some of these things out, and as I said, um, very much as the architecture, and that looked very much like Gotham City, uh, from what I would imagine uh, that would be from the movies that I've seen. Um, just here, I'm just going to roll a little video here just to show you a little of the culture. So yeah, I had some of the best Mediterranean food I've ever had. It was wonderful. And then, of course, what do pastors eat after they eat, uh, have, have an evening meal at like 10 o'clock at night? Of course, you go for gelato afterwards. And again, just wonderful to go and to be part of that. Again, that statement going through my mind that uh, we need them as much or more than they uh, need us. 
here in, in what God is doing and what God wants to do. The countryside in Romania, Moldova, where I was at, are very much like the Canadian prairie, someplace just as flat as could be. I mean, you can see your dog run away for three weeks. I mean, just it looked just like Saskatchewan. It was just so green and flat. They're a little earlier in their spring than us, so the crops were growing. A farmer's heart was just so happy to see that. And then there's areas of, like the Okanagan where there's fruit trees and vineyards and, and a very lush, very fertile, very just excellent soil, and yet still so much poverty. It just makes no sense, but you see what uh, regimes and, and politics and very bad politics has done to a nation. And uh, so here I'm just going to show you some of the countryside so you get a little idea of what the countryside is like there in a few videos. This is one of my favorites here. Here we are just in Romania. It's just very common to see that kind of thing along the countryside. And so um, just need to remember that Romania, especially the part that I was in, there's some wealthy areas of Romania, but the part in Brela where I was at is a very poor part of the nation. The average salary is $300 American a month. And uh, their gas prices are just about as much as what we pay here. And so other costs of living uh, expenses are less, but still uh, things are very tight for, for the people there. And in Moldova, where I ended up going to as well, the monthly income is $200 US. And so once again, just these people are living on very tight budgets and, and circumstances. The roads were terrible. And some of the laws that um, are must be a little bit different, like seat belts and distracted driving and driving on opposite sides of the road, if you so feel like it. And uh, this was us pulling into Brailia. And, uh, and, and not all of it looked quite like this, but this is very much of how the driving went. This was not a one-way street, just so you can remember. That trip taught me very much that uh, to believe in the sovereignty of God that when it's time to go, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go, and that God will be the one ultimately that decides that because there were times, uh, yeah, anyways, what can you do? You just, okay, Lord, you've got a plan, so if I'm going home now, I'm ready. Uh, take care of my dear wife and, and my kids, you know, sort of thing. So anyways, again, just very thankful for the safety and protection. I went there for two main reasons, and uh, one of them was to be part of a church conference put on by Harvest Brela, where they invited Harvest churches as well as other churches in the, in the region. There's, there's various Baptist churches within that region, and so an invitation went out 
vote for churches to be part of this conference. And, and I think there's some pictures of that banners and, um, and, and the pastors. These are the Harvest pastors that were represented there. There were a number of us from Canada. There's um, Robbie Simons from our Sending Church, Harvest Oakville. Ian Hales from Harvest Durham here in, here in Canada, in Ontario. And then Jeff Terrell from Kansas City. This picture here is a building just out, is a building that Harvest Braille had just recently purchased, a total miraculous uh, gift from God that, has, uh, that they've been able to purchase and, and now even supplement and actually help with, with the, the cost of this building by the government renting some offices in that building to pay them an incredible amount of money to each month to help them renovate. And so this is an old clothing factory and uh, the picture on the, on the left for you is their sanctuary or their worship theater that is in the process of being, being retrofitted to be a worship center. And then this other area is which we use for meals and that again is just it has it, the drywall mudding stage and uh, one, one washroom was done and so it, and uh, they still have lots of work to do but we were able to see the functionality of the building that they're building. So just excited for how this building has, God has just provided this in a very miraculous way for them. And uh, so it's very encouraging to see that. Um, the pastors that I went with from North America already have a strong partnering relationships with churches in Romania. And Harvest Oakville has had a very long standing relationship, with, especially with Harvest Brela, this place where the conference was held. And, and so over the years, Harvest Oakville and these other churches have sent teams over to Romania to minister there within that church, that region, that city, and, and even beyond to do some ministry. Ministry, even in some of the other regions and countries around there. Um, Harvest Brela has a orphanage there and uh, just has a fantastic ministry uh, taking place there. And so uh, teams from Canada have gone over. And, and, and the second main reason that I went was uh, first one for the conference, but the second one was, hey, we want a part of this. We want to be a part of what God is doing. And, uh, and so it was to go over there and to meet some of the pastors and the leaders and hear their stories and see some of the groundwork and, that already has been taking place and look for an opportunity for us, for Harvest Kelowna, to partner with, um, with a church or, or some sort of ministry over there. And so this is why I'm taking time even for you folks this morning. I don't want you just to be taking part and just, okay, this is Melvin's nice little trip. I am hope, hoping and my prayer is that you are watching and that God's going to be moving and stirring even within your own heart to see, hey, maybe God's calling you in a, in a very active way to, to perhaps end up being a part of a team in the future that's going to go and, 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 and be a part of a partnership in a very strategic way in going, but that all of us as a church will have a part in in helping to send others to go if you are unable or if at this season in life you aren't able to be a part of a going uh, team that will go. And so we're looking for this opportunity prayerfully that God would just open up just an obvious door for us to step through. Take, it's going to take huge steps of faith. But we need to do this, folks, because the blessing and, and, and the encouragement that we receive when we partner when God's kingdom work in this way um, more than just our city and our region, but to spread it out in a larger 
your way, uh, there, there's so many blessings uh, that God would have for us. And, and, and this is the kind of partnering relationship that the GCC is all about, which we are part of. We are part of the Great Commission Collective. And I just want to give you just a little statement, a little reminder about this. This is a new organization that has, has uh, risen up uh, since last summer when uh, Harvest Bible Fellowship, which we were under at that time, dissolved and, uh, and made way for the GCC to rise up. And so there's 119 partner churches and there's more that will be added in the weeks and the months ahead. But we, we exist to strengthen and multiply Great Commission churches. And what's a Great Commission church? Believing in fervent prayer. Not just as, you know, oh, yeah, we pray. No, we're going to get after prayer. We believe that, that prayer is the tool. Prayer is the key. Bold preaching. And, and, and one of the things that was so established to, to, to the uh, seminars and the sermons is that we have to be bold and, and proclaim the word of God. What, 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 what's our first pillar here? Proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We give it. Whether people are offended by it, God's word will cause an offense for some, but it's that offense that will oftentimes be the thing that will break people to, to see that God is good and God has a plan. Passionate worship intentional discipleship making, courageous evangelism, and strategic church planting. And the way that they go about doing this is encouraging churches to have a partner relationship with another church in another country. And some churches have, have multiple partnerships, but usually you start with one at the beginning. So I arrived in Brela, um, getting ready for a conference that was, I arrived there on Friday night. The conference was going to start on Monday. So Saturday morning, I went out for breakfast with Pastor Marius from, from Harvest Brela and Pastor Andre from Comrat Moldova. Um, Pastor Andre got up at 3.30 in the morning to drive from Comrat to Brela to pick me up and to have breakfast. And we had this breakfast in a hotel that Ceausescu, the very evil dictator, would love to come and visit and, and be a part of and, and visit and, and enjoy his, his time when he was in Brela. So we were like the only people at 8 o'clock in the morning eating breakfast there. I don't know. They're just maybe not breakfast people or something. I, I'm not uh, exactly sure. But then after that, that, we jumped in the car and drove four hours to Comrat, a city of 25,000 people. It is a very strong, it's a Russian-speaking country, and this region is like 99% Russian. So I didn't have a lot going for me, being German and English, not being able to speak English, but you know how I won huge uh, points with these people is that my wife Charlotte is Russian. She has a Russian background. So I said, oh, I have a Russian. they like, you speak Russian? I said, no, but I have a Russian wife. And, and they're like, oh, we love you then. And so I, I know that Charlotte, if she went there, they would just be all over. I mean, they would just love her because, you know, hey. So, so any good that they saw in me was through my wife. You know, so I'm very thankful for um, my father-in-law, I guess, and his uh, Russian heritage. And so just such a blessing. You see, uh, Comrade has, it's a very poor city. In fact, if you go and look at TripAdvisor on the things to do in Comrat, I did three out of the four of them. And, and the one thing I didn't do was go to the museum because it was closed, but I did go to the cathedral. I did go to the statue of Lenin, and that's the pastor out in front of the statue of Lenin. And I did go to the Russian army tank. Then uh, I don't have a picture of it for you today, but there's a picture of a Russian army tank or a statue or an actual tank, and so you can go there and take pictures beside it. So it, it's
it's, there's not a lot to do in Comrat, but God is on the move. God's at work there at Harvest Comrat. And, and th that church has been around for about 18 years. It's been kind of struggling and going through some difficulties in that. But a year ago, they transitioned to a Harvest Bible Chapel. And, and so just again, with the partnership and strategic uh, workings together with other churches, the, the pastor is greatly encouraged. And you can see they're leasing a building. You um, see a picture of it there in, in the top left-hand corner. It's right next to a bus depot. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I don't think the street view is there. Uh, the fence where you see there is the front entrance to the church. Um, it needs a little work, but they're working on it. The upstairs portion of there is going to be their Harvest Kids area. And again, as money comes in, they're going to be finishing that. And the group of men in the middle there are a group that drove nine hours that same day that we drove the four hours. They came from Ararat, from Harvest Bible Chapel there, to work for a week to work and do some of the work on the church building. So you see, again, the partnership and the working together, the generosity of the Harvest churches in that way. So it was wonderful to, to eat with, with these, these men, and, um, and, the, and they were Romanian. They spoke uh, pretty good English, and so I was able to enjoy some conversing with them. And so, um, so then next, it was Sunday morning, and uh, you can see uh, everyone getting ready for church, and, and uh, this uh, worship practice is taking place, and Harvest Kids is starting up, and, and you see the street is a little bit busy out in front of the church building there, and, uh, and I'm going to give you a little taste of the worship there on Sunday morning, so uh, enjoy this. <laughs> So this was the first time in many years that I needed to preach with an interpreter, and so it was a bit of a challenge, and, and this was being translated into Russian, and uh, Saturday night, I stayed at the pastor's home, and, and I asked him, I, I thought, oh, I should have asked this earlier, but I said, how long do you preach for? And he said, and, and his English was rather poor, and, uh, and, and he said to me, he said, oh, 15 minutes. And I'm like, fifth, like, fifth, like one five, like that's it? Like you can't even hit the good soil. You know, if you're digging down, you, I mean, you're not getting anywhere after 15 minutes. Like, oh my. And, and I knew that the sermon that I had preached, um, I had preached Easter Sunday here, was 38 minutes. And I'm thinking, this is, oh boy, they're going to they're gonna be in for a long time. And so Saturday night, this was my transcript. I started just cutting things and axing things out. And, and uh, there's more pages than this, but this is just a sample of what I needed to do. I said this to Charlotte, I'd like pray because I've got to cut a bunch of stuff. He only preaches 15 minutes, and, and I'm going to be preaching a lot more than that. So Sunday morning, his wife was going to be translating for me, and, and she saw my transcript. She said, what did you do? You cut out a whole bunch of good parts. And I said, I know, but your husband only preaches for 15 minutes. And she said, he doesn't preach for 15 minutes. He preaches for 50 minutes. 
And I'm like, ah, freedom, you know? And so, uh, so, so that was a big relief knowing that I wouldn't keep the people there extra long, you know, and that he too is a bit of a long-winded preacher. It must be a harvest thing, I don't know. And so I'm uh, just so thankful. That, and so I was able to bring some of the things back that I had crossed out. And, and so here's a little bit of preaching um, translation uh, translated into Russian. I've been a pastor for over 20 years. I have watched people pass away. And I can tell you from what I have seen personally, death is not the end. It's only the beginning. And there's only one way to heaven. Some people in Canada and probably in Moldova think all religions will get you to heaven. But Jesus declared I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Such a, a wonderful experience to be a part of that. And uh, his wife just did a wonderful job translating uh, that for the people. Sunday afternoon after the service, oh, I think there's a picture of a lot of uh, some of the food. I, I felt like this real foodie. I was taking pictures of everything that, that we got to eat. Most of it was good. Some of it was a little uh, interesting. And uh, we, we ate the, the family rooster. Um, yeah, they, they had that for us, but it was served cold. And, and thankfully, they had a lot of hot mustard. And so I was just drowning in the hot. They're like, oh, you like the mustard? I'm like, oh, yeah, you better believe it. I love the mustard. You know, and uh, because I'd heard that you have to eat everything on your plate and they load up your plate with stuff right and so I was like no no anyways um, you sur survived it had some of the best cabbage rolls in the world and so now I'm uh, yeah on a cabbage roll um, search to find or to make or have my wife make them and because uh, they were just phenomenal some great cabbage rolls just wonderful wonderful enjoyed the food and uh, again just the blessing of that so Sunday after church, we, we, we drove another four hours back to Brela, uh, into Romania, and Monday morning the conference began, and you just see some of the pictures here of, of just uh, the pastors preparing in prayer, some visiting going on, some of the panel, and some of the, the workshops that took place. You already saw some of the worship, and you'll see some more afterwards, and then they brought these big pots and, and served meals there at the church, and, and uh, just, again, just a, a real blessing to be a part of this, and again, passionate prayer, fervent prayer was a big part of this and, and, and just seeing people worship together, fellowship together and pray together was just so uh, just such a blessing. Here's a little segment of Ian Hales from Durham, Ontario from the Harvest there. For the health of our relationship with God In fact, if you never pray, you don't really know God De fapt, dacă nu te rogi înseamnă că nu cunoști pe Dumnezeu And just consider this for a minute. If someone was to walk up to me and say, Ian, how is your relationship with your wife? And I was to say, well, we never talk. And 
But other than that, everything's great. Da, mi-ai spus tot bine, totul merge perfect. It's not great, is it? Nu e, nu e bine, nu e așa. There is no real relationship. Nu există o relație adevărată. There is no real love. Nu există dragoste adevărată. And yet many of us as Christians function like this in our relationship with God. Cu toate acestea, mulți dintre noi, ca și creștini, în felul ăsta. Good, hey? It's good teaching that, that took place there. I know some of you are saying, hey, I want to see all of that. Uh, we'll find out if we can send you the links. Maybe you'll be able to do that once they're online. I'm sure they're going to be posting them. Um, as we, uh, uh, I had the opportunity to do a workshop. I think you can see the, uh, this was translated into Romanian. This is the workshop and, and the worksheet that they, they worked through as I led this workshop on, based on Acts 20. And so it was just, just a joy to be able to, to be a part of that, as well as there were a number of panel discussions on leadership and preaching that us as pastors were all a part of. Um, again, just so thankful. I went over to Romania having previously met um, only three people um, before this and and um, and they were all from three two of them were from Canada and one was Marius no one else I had met before um, but I left there with so many new friends and honestly some of them it felt like I'd been friends with them for years even though I was there for such a short time. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ, that even though there's language barriers and even though there's culture differences and economic differences in, 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 in major ways, um, yet there's this united um, brother and sisterhood of the body of Christ, which is so special and so unique. And so I left there with a very full heart in that way. One of the things, um, here, here are just a number of things, as you see a bunch of pictures on a slide. Here are some of the takeaway things that I saw and experienced while I was there. Um, from the moment I got off the airplane, there was joy. Uh, the pastors that met me had never met them before, and they were hoping that they could recognize me, and, and they had a picture or two of me, probably some mug shops from way back or something. And, and the moment I met them, there was just joy. And uh, for one of the first vehicles we saw there was that beautiful car on the far left, and... and um, But, but just a joy with the people and, and joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances. I saw a passion for worship and what a joy to be able to worship in English as they're singing Romanian or Russian. And sometimes I just tried to sing the, the words on the screen because it just sounded so beautiful. And, and later on at the end of the service, we're going to, again, hear some of their worship and we're going to go into it. And I, I, we can learn so much from them and how they worship and just have a, a passion for, for the Lord in their worship. Incredibly genera generous people they have so so little they live such modest lives and yet they are so generous with whatever it is that they have I tried to take the pastor and his family out for a meal and I tried to approach it from a few angles just to want to be generous back and finally he's like no in our culture we don't do that and his wife said maybe if you were here for three or four days we would let you you know and 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 but it was just very much hey do your call we want to, to feed you we want to give in and, and even sent me home with gifts and and just What a, what a beautiful thing. Um, just incredible generous, even though they have so little. There's a hunger for the word of God. Bible's open, notebook's ready, and let's just fire it up, and let's just, j just write down and learn as much from the word of God, from God's servants as we could. Serving with great joy. Just a lot of smiles and a lot of happiness as they would serve. Um, I, another thing I saw was weariness. All of these are church planters and these are church planting churches and, and some of them are doing set up and take down the harvest in Bucharest. Does, um, they meet in a movie theater like us and, and, and there's a weariness. 
Uh, I'll be honest, folks, come on, there's a weariness to serving the Lord. Wouldn't you agree? There definitely is a weariness. And yet with perseverance, as you keep going, God brings that blessing, getting the eyes off of ourselves and our little, you know, navel gazing is just the, the phrase I can come up with for that, just looking at our own stuff. You know, it's looking at what God is doing and serving him. Uh, he, he brings the joy and he brings the fruitfulness and the blessing in his time. Another thing is it's tough work. The churches there are small. If you have 50 people, you're a mega church. And yet God is on the move and churches are being planted and, and great things are happening. It's tough work. In Bucharest, 0.06% of the population are Christians. 89% of them are Orthodox. And, and you think, oh, then they're close. As we're going to see, not really. And they're not at all. And, and so just saw this boldness and readiness to, to do whatever necessary for the kingdom's sake. And, and, and again, a passionate for, passion for prayer. This is probably... When we go to prayer to see the people just lean forward, just lean forward into prayer because they were just, just praying along with um, the pastor, whoever was, was praying at the time. And, and uh, that was just a, a special, special picture of just um, fellow believers just leaning in for prayer. Um, and so this morning, um, we're going to continue on with a little bit more of the Romania part in a bit, but I want to turn our attention to the Word of God. I want to look at some more verses in Romans 10 because, again, I just believe they tie in so powerfully to what we saw, to where we are possibly are even at, and what God is calling us to do as a church and as individuals. And so this, this passage is a powerful passage, and I want to start with verse 1, and I'm going to read the first three verses of Romans chapter 10. And Paul writes, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seen to establish their own, they did not to submit to God's righteousness. The first thing I encourage you to write down is zeal. The zeal, our, our zeal must be grounded in the truth. Paul is writing in Romans 9 and then into Romans 10 in his prayer and his heart's desire for the Jews to be saved. His own people that they would come to know Christ in a personal way. The Jews had a great zeal for their own, for the keeping of the law. They had this great zeal for God, keeping the Ten Commandments and the 613 other laws and, and supplemental laws that went along with the Ten Commandments. And they were doing this just in incredible ways with, with great passion and commitment to find right standing before God that somehow if they worked their way they could get themselves to God and, and that they could earn their way to heaven and Paul for years devoted his life to, to preaching and to declaring to them that Jesus is the Messiah the once for all sacrifice for sins that they no longer needed to follow all of these commandments that Jesus was the righteousness that they were seeking for and searching for and his heart's desire and his prayer is that these lost people would be stuck, that were stuck in their religion, would turn to Jesus and, and find him to be the full and the satisfying payment for their sins, that they wouldn't have to offer sacrifices, they wouldn't have to keep all these rituals and, and do all of these things in hopes that they're going to get their, their way to heaven and to be declared righteous. His desire was that they would be saved. Even Paul wrote in one place, he said, I would be ready to go to hell. He, was will, he loved them and cared for them so much that he was willing to go to hell if it would mean that the Jews would be saved. What a passion he had. Do we have a passion for the lost like that? 
And so we see Paul's passion, his heart's desire. He's so concerned because he sees these people with so much zeal, so, much, so many works and, and so much busyness and, and all this spiritual activity trying to earn their way. And, and they're doing it with zeal, but he says, but not according to knowledge. They're not informed of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. They're in bondage. And we see that today. We see that in the Jewish people today who are still waiting, looking for the Messiah. He's come. We see that. Saw that in Romania, saw that in Moldova. I witnessed very, something very similar to this, the blind eyes of the religious in, in the regions in Europe where I was at. You drive into these poor cities, poor villages, and they're all run down, and, and you'd see some nice houses and, and some newer homes and that, but for the most part, things were so run down and vacated. And, but in every town, every city, every village, the cathedrals were immaculate with gold and bronze and, and just, just all kinds of money that would be poured into this. And even at the entrances of the town, at, at each road, there would be some sort of a monument there that, um, and that had pictures of Jesus or of the saints or different things like that. And, and, and so you just see the gold and the bronze and the copper, and you just see the money that is being poured into this while everyone else is poor and suffering. The church is thriving and, and looking so beautiful. And it's such a bondage that they're in. Now, Orthodox Easter is celebrated a week after our Easter is celebrated, and, um, and for them, Easter isn't that big of a deal. Easter for us is a big deal. We party, we celebrate, it is a big deal. A bigger weekend for them is the weekend after their Easter celebration, which is their Easter for the dead. It's so weird. And it is so strange. But for the Orthodox faith, this, is, this weekend is so, so big in their calendar and then other dates throughout the year that the people will gather at cathedrals, they will go to the cemeteries, they will pray, they will honor the dead, they will pay money, they will do all kinds of different religious rituals and they'll do things at the grave and pray prayers and, and bring flowers and, 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 and make sure it's all looking nice and... and uh, just in order to better their relatives' chances of going to heaven, as well as for them in doing these good works, find favor with God. And we would drive past these cathedrals. At times, traffic was backed up, and we had to, police were directing traffic because the people were lined up to be able to go into these cathedrals and to, to be blessed. And we even um, witnessed some, some gypsies, uh, some gypsy witches that were uh, part of the Orthodox tradition as well, and they were all around there doing some of their weird incantations and different things. So it was very strange, very eye-opening. And one thing I noticed, the people all had empty water bottles who were heading towards the cathedral. And they were leaving with these water bottles full. And what they were doing is, it was basically tap water, but the priest would then pray over it and it would become holy water. And then they would take this holy water and, and then they would take it home and pour it on land that they were hoping to get or on, on a sick child and, and believe that somehow this holy water would, would heal or they would get God's blessing and they would take the holy water to family members that maybe weren't well to, um, and weren't able to come to the cathedral. They would take the holy water to the graveyards and, and pour it on the, the, the tombs of of their family members and it's just like oh this lostness it's just so hard to believe and so I want to just show you a couple couple videos of this
Can you believe that lineup of people? And here now they're selling icons and memorabilia for them to somehow receive a blessing of some sort. Just unbelievable. It just it's hard to fathom and you just see this religious zeal and they're so blind and they're doing it and, and God's word doesn't call us to do this. This is a man-made religion. Remember the town in Comrat that I mentioned that I was in is a very poor town and and it went into the cathedral. And this just breaks my heart to see what you're gonna see next. I thought that was a bouncer coming to get me for videoing, so I stopped at that point. But um, here's a picture of their hospital. Compare that just a few blocks away from the cathedral. And you just see the brainwashing, and you just see these poor people who are giving themselves, giving their alms, giving their time, giving their energy, giving their hope, giving their faith, their religion to something that's dead. And this is their hospital. Another thing they do is they spend a great amount of money on, on their tombstones, on graves. Many of these are taller than, than me. And this was a new cemetery. Again, again, hoping that by doing this that they will find favor with God and their loved ones will go to heaven and that them and doing these good works would find favor from God. They have this zeal and they're ready to put their money where their, where their mouth is kind of thing. They're ready to do it and it's for a dead faith, a dead religion. Many of the young people have very little to do with, with this kind of activity, and yet they hold on to the Orthodox heritage. And as I asked the pastors about reaching the Orthodox people, they said it's easier to win an atheist over to Christ than it is for those that are caught up in this faith. Isn't that right, George? George, George is someone who was in, George and Jeanette were in the Orthodox church years ago. He could tell you he could be up here preaching this part of the message. And, and God has saved him, and he came to knowledge of the truth in his life, and his eternity is forever changed because of that. But you see this, that, that, that they're just so locked in their religion, just like the Jews in our day who just refuse to believe in Christ. It's so clear, and it's so plain, and yet the gods of this age, their eyes are so blinded. 
And so these people have invested their whole lives in this religion. They've paid fortunes. They've devoted so much time. And now you're going to tell them that Jesus has done it all, that they don't have to do anything, that all their works, all their time, everything that they have done, is, it, it doesn't count for anything. It makes no sense to them. None of that, they believe, will get them, you know, or, or, or they, they just can't see how they, that will get them to heaven to believe in Jesus in that way. But the Bible teaches that the only way that is acceptable to God is through his perfect righteousness, and that is through his son. No one could keep the law 100%. God is so holy, and God is so righteous, and heaven is so pure that only one sin will separate us from God. One sin. James, the brother of Jesus, he wrote, he says, you can keep the whole law, stumble in just one little twig, one little thing, and you're guilty of breaking it all. And so in reality, there's no hope apart from Christ for anyone. And this is what Paul is talking about. He says they have this zeal, but not according to knowledge. They have this misdirected zeal, and it's dangerous, and it's damning people to hell. You see, folks, you can't earn your way to heaven. There's no good that you can do that will get you to heaven. It will not give you, doing good works won't get you right standing with God. It's only by his grace through his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4, it goes on to say, For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. It's saying Christ is the end. He is the answer. He is the one, and yet they're so blind. And yet we hear people say today, oh, but you just have to be sincere. As long as you're sincere, you know, all paths lead to God. As long as you're sincere, that's going to be good enough. And, and yet we don't hold that argument in other areas. As long as you're sincere. We don't hold that when it comes to an architect building a building. He may have great passion and zeal for building a building, but if he's not doing it to code and that building caves in, I'm like, oh, well. You want your doctor or pharmacist to have zeal. You don't want to, you know, meet up with your doctor and like, oh, what's your problem today? And, you know, no, you want them to have some passion. You want them to be into their job and what they're doing, but you also want them to have knowledge, you know, and just, hey, go try this or here, try this drug. No, you want them to have some knowledge to be able to, to know that. And so you, so it's passion. It's the zeal as well as true knowledge. And so it's important when it comes to our faith, heaven and hell laying in line in the balance that we have it grounded in truth, and the word of God is our truth. It's either an empty religion that you're following, or it is a deepening relationship. It's, it's one or the other, a deepening relationship with Christ. Something that is just as dangerous, though, can exist here in this room. We might think, oh, those people are so blind, and oh, the Jews are so blind. But folks, you can have a misdirected zeal. We can have a misdirected zeal in our own lives here. I wonder if someone was to track our lives for 24 hours, for seven, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they could track our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, our words. What would be the conclusion? What would be the conclusion they would come up with as far as the zeal in our lives? Would it be said that we're zealous for the Lord and for his kingdom? Where's our time? Where's our money? Where are our thoughts going? Is it about making money, making a name for ourselves, pursuing our own plans, our own dreams, and asking God then just to, you know, kind of give his blessing to those? What is it that we're holding on to our, for, for our salvation? Are we basing our salvation on works? Well, I did this and I did this, so this must prove that I'm a believer. Pastor Greg, who was with our men yesterday at the men's breakfast, shared some of his testimony with us. 
how he grew up in a Christian home, said a prayer at some point, so he is in. So he thought, and so did his parents, and then he went off in his teenage life. I'm giving you the, the Coles notes of, of his story. He went off and lived quite a, a, a wild life in his teenage years and, and, and college years, and, but, but then he came back, as good boys do. He came back to the church and, 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 and uh, met Debbie, who loved the Lord, and, and, uh, you know, and he's making money, pursuing a lot, just a very successful business career. Things are going well and making good money, attending church. Probably even were you giving some money to the church, and they're probably saying, hey, you know, what a good guy. The treasurer sees, oh boy, yeah, that Greg, he's doing well. Praise the Lord. We love him. Good little Christian family here. And Greg said he was miserable. Because through a series of events and the truth of God's word and his Holy Spirit working in Greg's life, he came to understand he didn't know Christ. He had religion. He had zeal even as a young dad, as a young businessman. But it was misplaced. And he didn't know Christ. And that story can be told over and over and over and over and over again in the life of the church. We can have zeal, we can go through the motions, we can say a prayer, get baptized, and then think, whew, we're good, and we pursue our own life plans and dreams and goals, and then just ask God to, you know, just kind of like put some fairy dust kind of thing of his blessing on us kind of thing. We can have zeal, but not according to knowledge. And it's so important whether we're sitting in a place like this or for the church in Romania or Moldova or where, um, and around our world, we need to see and examine our hearts. Am I, am I dead in my faith? Is my faith alive? We can have that same blindness that those people are suffering from, trusting in our own righteousness, our own good deeds, our own agenda, and not living God's agenda. The second thing I encourage you to write down, we see here in Romans 10, is that the gospel is the only truth. And in verse 9, it says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all, and all who call on him. For everyone who calls on his name, on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Paul is saying there is a way of salvation, and it is on calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. And the two things we see in this passage that, that, that is a requirement for authentic salvation to be saved is to confess with your mouth is the first thing, and then Paul says to believe in your heart. He, he, he's not simply saying, believe it in your head. He's saying, believe it in your heart, that it's making a difference in your heart. And if it's making a difference in your heart, it's making a difference in your life. Saving faith believes that Jesus Christ was the sinless son of God who came to this earth, who died on the cross, who lived here on this earth, died on the cross for our sins. He bore the wrath of God that we so deserved. And when he died on the cross, the righteousness that we were so wanting became available to us in Jesus Christ. The cross became that full and satisfying payment for our sins. And when Jesus died on that cross and was buried and then rose again on Easter, conquering sin and death and victory, that saving faith is something that we can run to and cling to. There's that old hymn that goes, nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. There's no good works that will qualify us for heaven. It is putting our saving faith, putting our trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross. 
You see, it's not just enough to have this as head knowledge in our head because James, again, the brother of Jesus in James 2, verse 19, he says, even the d demons believe in Jesus. They even believe in the cross. They even believe in the resurrection. They know it. It's a historical fact. It happened. The demons believe this. So it's not just with the head. We must believe it in our heart. And we must confess it with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. It's confessing him as Lord. Sadly, I've heard some misdirected people at times. Um, parents go to their children or someone who is dying and they're not sure if they know the Lord and they go up to them and say, hey, just say, because of this passage, it says, if you say Jesus is Lord, you're going to be safe. So say it, say it, say it, say it. Jesus is Lord, just say it, say it, say it. You know, and, and they finally say, whoa, whoa, good, they're saved. <sighs> I'm done. It's, it's kind of like this, you know, magic little um, statement that all of a sudden, if you say Jesus is Lord, no, that's just empty words. It's got to be a reflection of your heart. It's got to be more than that. You see, confessing Jesus is Lord is presenting my heart towards him, and there's a humility and an awe and a word that is not in the English dictionary, but I sure love it when I made it up this week. There's an undoneness. We are undone by his mercy that he, there's nothing I could do to earn his salvation, and yet he gives it to me because I surrender my life to him. In Europe, one of the things I noticed that when it came to talking about a person's salvation, they didn't talk about, hey, when did you get saved? When did you come to know Christ? When did you pray and commit your life? You know, these are the little statements we like to use here in North America. You know what they use there? When did you repent? When did you repent? You see, so oftentimes we take our salvation and we add it to our lives like an app on our phone. Oh, here's the Jesus app. I'll press it, I'll, I'll use it when I need it. Rather than him encompassing all of our lives. And in order for that happens, we repent. When was the day that you came to the end of yourself and repented of your sins and turned away from sin and turned away from your agenda, from our own agenda and turned towards God, what would you have for me? What is your agenda now for my life? What does your word say? Oh, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Oh, to declare Christ. What else does your word have to say? That's when salvation takes place, when we repent and we turn to, we do away with ourselves, not just a little add-on to our lives just to get our fire insurance from hell. So much more than that. The only way to be saved is to pour out every drop of who we are, all of our sin, even all of our good deeds, all of our acts of righteousness, and we give them all to Jesus, and we receive his salvation. We empty ourselves so he can forgive us, and then he can fill us with his righteousness and with his Holy Spirit. The idea that Christ died on the cross for our sins, and all we think we need to do is say some little sinner's prayer and, you know, like these magic little words, and then we pursue our own agenda, our own plans, and our own dreams, it's just, just not right. You see, a true conversion leads to a lifelong discipleship, which means we continue to pursue Christ for the rest of our lives. And we do that in the way that he tells us in his word. Folks, it's so important that, that we understand that. It's not just receiving Christ and coming to church once a Sunday at, or, or once a week, and, you know, if we make it, and, and, and then that's kind of good enough. We kind of have his blessing. It's, it's pursuing him for the rest of our lives in a lifelong discipleship. And that means telling others. That's a big part of discipleship. Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to obey my commands. And in our lives, we have to ask ourselves, am I being obedient to the word of God? 
Or am I just conveniently believing certain scriptures and ignoring or making excuses over other scriptures? We're going to have bad days. We're going to have bad weeks. We're going to have bad months. It might even be a few bad years. But those tough seasons as we pursue, as we continue on, as we keep coming to the Lord in a humble heart and repentant heart will lead to fruitful seasons. When we press on, God is faithful. And he brings the blessing in his time, in his way. The last thing we see here in this passage that we can highlight from, um, f- from this here is that the gospel must be proclaimed. Look at what it says in verse 14. It says, How then can they call on him who have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And the last thing here, the gospel must be proclaimed. We must proclaim, the task is urgent and it's upon every one of us to do it. If you're a believer in Christ, it is very crystal clear that we are to proclaim Jesus to those around us. Notice it says beautiful feet. <laughs> and don't worry, we're not going to take our shoes off, shoes and socks and compare feet because um, some of us don't have very pretty feet. Charlotte will often say, man, you have Jesus feet um, just because it looks like you've walked the trails uh, you know, in dirt sandals in a hot summer day for a very long time. We're not going to... You know, what, you know what constitutes beautiful feet in the Word of God here? Are people who are ready and willing to carry the gospel to others. If that's true, that is the highest, highest thing that we can use our feet for. Yes, we can use it for walking and working out and, and taking care of our children, and those are all good and those are important. They all have their certain places, but we can also walk into areas of sin with those feet. And then they're not beautiful feet. But beautiful feet... The way that God's word describes beautiful feet are those who are willing to take the gospel and share it. We've been given the great commission, Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And this is for everyone who's an authentic, true believer in Christ. This is a command for each one of us to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And then as Greg reminded us this morning, Jesus promises, he says, and I will be with you. You're not going on your own. I'll be with you to the end of the age. This is, this is what we have been saved for. We're not saved just to go live our agenda for our 70, 80, 90, or like my grandfather, 106 years that he lived here on this life. No, we get saved to live out God's agenda and God's plan and his purpose in our lives. To share the gospel in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in, in our community. And for some here, I trust, and for many here around the world. Get your passports ready, folks. It's time to go. It's time to go and share the gospel there, but it also means we're sharing the gospel here. I'll be honest with you, when I got to Romania, and and by Monday morning, even before the conference started, I was in a bit of a negative mood, and I was just thinking, why am I even here? Why are we here in this, you know, country that is so poor? In fact, everyone's leaving. You know, like, like every, uh, what's the statistic here? That, That one person leaves Romania every five minutes. 30,000 people a year are migrating to other countries just in, in hopes of a better future because things are so economically depressed there. And I'm sitting here thinking, why are we at a church conference? Why would we ever look at partnering in a country that is at 19 million people and declining by 30,000 at least every year? And I was just thinking, this is, just seems like a bit of a waste of time. Maybe there'll be other places for us to invest our time, you know, growing and, and, and great opportunities. And yet I was so humbled at breakfast when I mentioned this to one of the pastors. He said, he said, hey, he said, 
the great thing. This is the book of Acts that's taking place here. These people are coming here in Romania and in these harvest churches. They're hearing the gospel. They're hearing it proclaimed. And there's young people and there's middle age. And then they're moving to these other regions. And, and they're taking the gospel with them into these other areas of Europe and, and, and spreading the gospel. This is the book of Acts. This is, you know, uh, day of Pentecost. The people were in Jerusalem and then they went out with the gospel. You see it in Acts 8, 19 and 20 when, when it, most of Asia ends up hearing the gospel. And Paul and the apostles did not go to most of Asia. It was the people who went out. And here I talk to a Romanian pastor who's getting trained up, ready to go to Germany. Germany. Because the city that he's going to be going to in Germany has 6,000 Romanians. And they're calling for a church there in Romania. And they want to establish a church, or, or sorry, a church in, in Germany. And they want to establish a Romanian church that will then build in strength. And then they're going to reach the Germans. And don't the Germans need Christ? Thomas, wouldn't you agree? Germany needs the gospel. He didn't say yes to that, but I'm sure on the inside, Germans usually don't give a lot of expression. And so, you know, and, and, and so you just see that, that God is using this desolate, this ordinary, this small country with a gospel explosion to move out to other regions in Europe. And it's like, why wouldn't we want to be a part of something like that? Just such an encouragement to see that. And so I was humbled to see the gospel going forward. In the Bible, the gospel never goes forward except through human instruments. J.D. Greer wrote this. He says, the idea that God will be out there preaching the gospel himself to lost nations and that he'll do it on his own so that you and I can go about our own lives, playing with our toys and messing around in church is an inconvenient truth. The inconvenient truth is if people in the world are to hear the gospel, we, the church, are the ones who can preach it to them. Have we given ourselves, have we offered ourselves to God for that purpose? And no is an unacceptable answer. If the gospel is true, if it's changed your life, we don't have time to play games, folks. We need to share the gospel with those around us. We don't have time to play church and spend our lives just collecting toys. It's so much more than that. We have an eternity that we can anticipate and look forward to for glory, to be in God's glory. And we can go around living our lives like these things aren't true here today. But folks, this is how the gospel spreads, through ordinary, at times maybe even feeling inept people, that we are to be gospel carriers. Let's bow our heads. Ask the band to come. Just want to close by asking you some important questions. First of all, do you believe the gospel? Have you repented? Have you received the gospel? Have you repented? Repented of your sins, repented of your plans, your agenda. Have you done that 180 and turned to Christ? You can receive him today as Lord and Savior. This could be the day of your salvation. Love to talk to you afterwards. Another question, what are you passionate and zealous for? Is it for the gospel? Is it for spreading? If there's anything above that, we've got misplaced priorities as a follower of Christ. If it's for your plans, your dreams, your goals, you take what God has given you and you leverage that for the gospel. Whether it's here, in this nation, or around this world, what adjustments need to be made in your life, in your time, in your finances? What needs to be repented of? Another question, who is God calling you to share the good news with? 
Another question, where might God be calling you to go locally and globally? What changes might, will need to be made in your life, your schedules, your work, your hobbies, your commitments to see God's word carry on here at Harvest Kelowna, in our city and beyond? Jesus, in your word, you said that you would make your name great among the nations and you would bless all the nations. But you've chosen to do that through instruments like us. May we be found faithful. May you be exalted over all, over all this earth, over everything in our lives, our finances, our time, our commitments. Oh God, would you be exalted? Would you be first, first and best in all of these areas? And would we be faithful to the call that you have for us to go into all the nations, sharing, proclaiming, and calling people to repent? Would you be exalted over all?